Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. At the end of August, the U.S. Supreme Court accepted two shadow docket petitions and issued opinions that, in general, opposed anything good from happening. The first was the Alabama Landlords Association arguing against the CDC's new revised eviction moratorium language that tied the eviction moratorium to the presence of COVID in a given geographic area. And the second was abortion providers suing to stop the implementation of the state of Texas's new anti-abortion bill, SB 8. We're going to start by discussing the abortion ban in Texas. Is it really a ban, or is it really just so restrictive that it's effectively a ban? Yeah, so SB 8, which was passed by the Texas state legislature recently, and is supposed to go into effect on September 1st, and in fact went into effect on September 1st, restricted the availability of an individual seeking an abortion to within six weeks of the start of the pregnancy, whereas general abortion law historically is at 24 weeks, so it's more restrictive than existing abortion law. And the key thing about this new bill is that the enforcement mechanism is not the state going after an individual who gets an abortion. It's a private enforcement. So an individual can sue another individual who got an abortion. And the incentive is that there is a $10,000 payout if you as an individual are successful. So the state of Texas has deputized individuals to enforce this anti-abortion law. So what happened in the courts is a series of abortion providers sued to attempt to prevent this law from going into action. And it worked its way through the district and then a federal appeals court and arrived at the Supreme Court. In a 5-4 decision by the Supreme Court, the court allowed the law to go into effect. And this is the key quote. It is unclear whether the named defendants in this lawsuit can or will seek to enforce the Texas law against the applicants in a manner that might prevent our intervention. It doesn't make any sense. So they're arguing that the state of Texas cannot be prevented from doing anything because the state of Texas does not enforce the law. Private individuals do. Your shitty neighbor does with a big truck. Does he have a pissing Calvin? Yep, pissing Calvin all over the Ford or Chevy. The design of this law is that it's burden shifting. The only way this can be enforced is if somebody that is actually getting an abortion and is sued by somebody challenges it. And that's the intent. You can't preemptively say you can't enforce this, apparently, because that's what the Supreme Court said. Whether that's a good argument or not, I'm not taking a position. But the Supreme Court did state that it probably wasn't constitutional, but that's fine. Like, it's okay. This was a quote at the end of their opinion. In particular, this order is not based on any conclusion about the constitutionality of Texas's law and in no way limits other procedural proper challenges to the Texas law, including in Texas state courts. So it punts. So it punts as hard as possible while basically shifting the burden from established institutions like abortion providers being able to say this shit is blatantly unconstitutional and we would like to prevent it from going into effect to you're going to have to wait until some asshole sues another person for $10,000 for getting a constitutionally protected abortion because they didn't overturn Roe v. Wade here. They didn't do anything about abortions in this opinion. They literally just said that the attempt at an injunction was invalid because the people you're asking to be enjoined from doing something don't actually have the power to do what you're asking them to do anyway. This feels like the John Birch Society got together, 
So they said, well, there's been this constitutional requirement where the state is involved. How do we abstract out of the state? And they made this deputization. Then what I feel like is going to happen is they're going to write to life Texas is going to be the chief group filing all the lawsuits. If I'm rich and get raped and I have $10,000 sitting around, can I just pay this group $10,000? Does an abortion go from $100 to $10,000? Is that what's happening? So that is absolutely a potential outcome of this, is if you're rich, you just pay $10,000. Right. That's wild. I hadn't thought of that. Because it's, it's another one of those, those burdens where it doesn't really hurt the donor class. It hurts the poor, the worker class. So one of the outcomes of this whole thing is that abortions cost $10,000. I just read through the law. A couple interesting things here. It's got these sub chapter discussions about how if you aid in a bed or if you perform the abortion you're responsible for you, you could be sued under the civil lawsuit thing and if you are intending to engage so it's got like thought police in here it's got conspiracy so you can sue somebody if you think they intend to somehow provide an abortion for somebody or pay for the abortion or whatever it happens to be so we were just kind of contemplating like oh maybe the cost just goes to the ten thousand dollars and who gives a shit you pay it but really it's it's meant to basically financially ruin a doctor. Can you say it's religious, right? So you play the religious exemption card and you make the argument that it's all, this is a religious right. And then you're going to make the religious right argue that you don't have autonomy to have religious choices or something. Interestingly enough, when I thought about the right to Texas, a bunch of weird tweets came out today. The right to life in Michigan said, we're going to make abortions illegal in Michigan as soon as Roe versus Wade is struck. And then the governor came out with this very vacuous tweet saying, I will oppose any a bill that stands in the way of a woman's right to choose or something like that. But the issue really is, is that the Democratic Party tends to fight ideology or fight like belief systems instead of fighting individual people. And the conservative and the Republican Party literally fight the other politician on the other side. And that is the insanity of it. Because the governor of Michigan should have came out and said, I will fucking bury any individual who brings this law. In fact, here's a list of the 37 Republicans you should never compromise with, or whatever the number is. I have no idea what their, what their state is. I have no idea. But here's a list of all the pro-life people that you should not allow to put any of their names in any of the bills you pass. Done. You get the black mark. Make it a political issue to oppose abortion. So if you're one of these arbitrary 37 people... You just get buried over and over and over for everything you do because you came out and said that I want to eliminate abortion. It should be total war against literally everything they do. Everything. Because there's Every no compromise with these people. You can't compromise on your values and do this like, oh, well, Republicans and Democrats are going to come together and be bipartisan. And as part of this bipartisanship, the Supreme Court is going to gut effectively a longstanding common law court ruling of Roe versus Wade that says abortions are legal. And the beauty of what the ruling does is that it doesn't actually overturn Roe versus Wade. It just has the effect of making abortion illegal. So the Dems are going to have a hard time fundraising on this because Roe v. Wade is still a thing. But at the same time, people in Texas can't actually get abortions. So the GOP is having their cake and eating it too here. The Democratic Party stands for nothing. They have no die on the hill thing. The Republican Party primarily has right to shoot people at school and right to force your rape baby those are the two things they fight on and they wrap it in the flag and they wrap it under capitalism and it's they lick all the boots and they put the stupid fucking flag up with the blue line on it all that stuff that's what the republicans do libertarians do it too they had the don't tread on me signs the democratic party doesn't have the same infrastructure in place to fight abortion bans that the right has to fight abortions 
Like, there's no legal groups out there who are coming up with these abstracted concepts to make abortion legal everywhere. So this entire lawsuit and law was orchestrated purposefully, strategically, with lots of resources by various lawyers. This wasn't just an accident that happened. And there's really no oppositional force doing the same sort of thing. This entire scheme is absolutely evil, but it's also brilliant because it actually was enacted and it's having its intended effect. You don't ever see the Dems doing something like this and succeeding. Like we don't all of a sudden have health care for three months due to some clerical error or something. Like it never happens. And like you said, the GOP dies on the hill of abortion and gun rights and everybody knows it. The GOP as a party doesn't give a shit about those two issues. They, they don't care at all. They care about the voters that are members of their base that support those two issues because that group will consistently vote for the GOP because they frame the Democrats as godless, soulless, evil people, and you can't have that in government. Even though both parties are wholly and completely capitalist and they don't care about you at all. The GOP has an invested interest in continuing to appeal to the religious right. And there's no similar unit within the Democratic base that has this kind of power. So the closest that we come to on the left of having somebody that will stand up and complain about this is AOC, who basically just said something back to us, like, well, we should expand the court. And it's like, well, yeah, but like, that's not, it's not a daring or courageous take. Like, everybody knows that should have happened because the Supreme Court is just a totally dog shit institution that serves capital. All you do is put in a bill that says abortions are legal. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what Nancy Pelosi is going to vote on immediately when the House gets back from recess in three weeks. That's how important it is. Remember that time it was so important that, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't step down so that Hillary could be the first woman a president to appoint a, a justice? And that, guess what happened? Now abortion is illegal in Texas. That's what shit libs do. Shit libs going shit lib. Anybody that's out there that thinks the Supreme, the Supreme Court is going to save you, guess what? It's not. When you go to the Supreme Court, they choose capital. I mean, it's so bad that they chose Monsanto over farmers. They abolished the first sale doctrine on seeds for farmers because it hurt capital. So what needs to happen and probably will happen is that Planned Parenthood will figure out some sideways manner by which they can create a desirable court case to challenge this. And I think that challenge in some way, shape, or form relates to helping an individual leave the state to get an abortion. So then the abortion is legal because it was performed outside of the state. Sure, they might be subject to the $10,000 fine, but there has to be somebody who gives a shit that is willing to just eat the $10,000. And then that case will be the model case that gets brought up during the unconstitutional argument that happens sometime down the road because the Supreme Court, while they expedited this situation, they're not going to expedite the actual constitutional challenge because... Again, that would interfere with the interests of the religious right, and the Supreme Court isn't going to do that. So the second Supreme Court ruling of interest that happened at the end of August is the modified eviction moratorium that the CDC issued in August after the Trump-issued moratorium expired. We're going to start out with the law that governs the CDC's power. 361A of the Public Health Service Act states the following as paraphrased by uh, the Supreme Court, to make and enforce such regulations as in its judgment are necessary to prevent the introduction, transmission, or spread of communicable diseases. That is the CDC's power to enact policy. What does that statement mean to you? Anything it needs to do to keep everybody safe during COVID. That's what I think, but I could be wrong. 
Well, here's what the Supreme Court says of the majority opinion. It is hard to see what measures this interpretation would place outside the CDC's reach, and the government has identified no limit in 361A beyond the requirement that the CDC deem a measure necessary. So the statute says necessary. What's your interpretation of the word necessary? Necessary? Is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? Probably not. No, but I do it anyway because it's sterile and I like the taste. Necessary for me is like by any means necessary to keep people safe. I mean, like everything's on the table. So for me, eviction moratoriums, mortgage moratoriums, rent, I mean, being paid, canceling all student debt, so you have to worry about it, giving everybody food stamps, health insurance, like straight up everything. If the intent of the CDC is to enforce some sort of health policy to prevent diseases, then what power should they have if it's not necessary? Is it like we have the ability to make suggestions that can be overruled by people that don't have scientific knowledge? Like, where, where do you draw the line on necessary? If the CDC is the entity responsible for making health decisions, don't they have complete, like, unilateral power to assert what is or is not necessary in the health context? Like, is there another competing entity in the U.S. that could be like, well, the CDC doesn't know what the fuck it's talking about because we're the better centers for disease control? I don't really even understand why it's questionable that the CDC has the power for public health. I mean, if, if someone you can believe that the Facebook can prescribe and a judge can prescribe, like, Invermectin, I say it right? Who gives a shit? It's horse paste. Then, then I have to believe that the CDC, the federal entity, has the ability to do what the hell they want. I don't know. I, I'm confused here. It's as if, and we haven't got to the ruling yet, the Supreme Court is trying to find a way to not allow the CDC to do its job. And I think that's exactly what the court attempts to do by then making the following statement further in the opinion. As an example against why the CDC doesn't have power, this is a literal quote from the opinion. We are not making this up. Could the CDC, for example, mandate free grocery delivery to the homes of the sick or vulnerable, require manufacturers to provide free computers to enable people to work from home? order telecommunication companies to provide free high-speed internet service to facilitate remote work. Why shouldn't the CDC be able to do any of that if it's necessary to prevent the spread of disease? I don't know, except that it seems like the Supreme Court doesn't want socialism. No. I don't know what else to say. I feel like when someone says the Supreme Court's on your side, they don't actually realize that the Supreme Court is... And hear me out here, not on your side. For me, if you said that everybody got who, got, who was sick was given free food, the, the Supreme Court would then argue that, well, what would stop somebody from going out and purposely getting sick if they were hungry? Like, that's like the, like the rabbit hole that they'll go down to just like make things up. Yeah, you're right. I guess somebody wants to cut their thumb off and never be able to grip something against. So they get $10,000 in insurance payout. Uh-huh, sure. I, I don't know. But I read that and I actually couldn't believe that they actually wrote that on paper. This is the first time I think I've seen such a blatantly mask off, we hate people comment coming from the Supreme Court. Like this was wild. There's a lot of like pro-corporate, just nonsensical shit that they say. But this is literally advocating against being able to provide literal sick people with free food. 
this is basically going to be part of the ruling that that argues that you shouldn't be able to help homeless people. What what the Supreme Court has done is they've been picking and choosing what programs they want to support. There's six. There's like there's six of them out of nine who were appointed by conservatives who are in fact conservative and they're voting conservatively. Crazy that you can draw such inferences from very explicit voting patterns historically over hundreds of years. Well, I'd really like to know, I mean, if I'm being stereotypical here, because I don't want to jump to conclusions. I want to jump to conclusion, Matt. Wait, what is it? You see, it would be this mat that you would put on the floor and would have different conclusions written on it that you could jump to. This was the conclusion that the majority jumped to. It is indisputable that the public has a strong interest in combating the spread of COVID-19 Delta variant. But our system does not permit agencies to act unlawfully, even in the pursuit of desirable ends. What is unlawful about that? They can't do what's necessary. So doing something that's necessary is also unlawful. I guess. Boy, this is some gymnastics here. They worked really hard, really fucking hard to do this. So then the question is, why isn't AOC putting in a bill that says the CDC has a power for eviction moratoriums? Because what this is, right? Because there's no law that says they have that power. The Supreme Court only really has the ability to challenge how the laws are interpreted. So the the job for all legislatures is when the Supreme Court overturns what you think is important, you pass another law. In fact, Texas does it all the time for abortion bans. Or if it's not explicitly spelled out, the CDC does not explicitly have the authority to give out free food during a pandemic. So what do you do? You pass a law explicitly telling the CDC that they have the ability to pass out free food during a pandemic. So the brilliant part about changing the law to say that is you could literally just add the word super necessary. The law would change. You do the eviction moratorium again, citing a change to the statute that hopefully clarifies the Supreme Court's ruling. You get another six months for it to wind its way through district appeals court, Supreme Court, and then they can make the same ruling again. But who gives a shit? You got six months. Yeah. And because you're just clarifying law that already exists, it's going to be budget neutral. So you can have the stupid fucking parliamentarian included as part of reconciliation, and then you only need 50 votes in the Senate, and it'll pass in the House, and it can become law without the filibuster matter. And if you want to get technical, you could actually, like you said, add a literal statement or eviction moratoriums. The the housekeeper, the legal housekeeper, who goes through and fixes bills and changes words and makes sure that it, it means what they say, it's not changing the content of the law, it's just changing the law to, to read, write, or whatever it is, could put the word super in there, like you said, for clarification. It's a clarification bill. The CDC already has the power in the in the eyes of the legislative branch. The CDC already has the power to give out free meals, but we need clarity. So let's clarify it. Literally just say the CDC has complete autonomy to determine what is necessary. If they say something is to be done, it is necessary. We're done here. That's it. But guess what the Democratic Party won't do? Any of that. Any of it. Biden might be able to do an executive order that's an eviction moratorium and then would have to work its way through the courts in a different manner that would not be tied to the CDC in this allegedly vague 361A necessary line. Like, just do it. Who's going to challenge you? Somebody will. The Alabama landlords will challenge. But, like, whatever. Who cares? You get another, I don't know, month. The moratorium was only supposed to last through October anyway, so just fucking issue another one with different reasons and let it march on. Instead of it going through the CDC, put it through the USDA. All right, so let's talk about 
how might both of these terrible Supreme Court rulings actually resolve themselves? We talked a little bit about SBA. It will require somebody to challenge it. And they're likely to resolve, I think, favorably, but the burden shifting thing has happened and there will be a period of time where people cannot get abortions in Texas. And that was the entire intent of this. Now, the eviction moratorium is probably over and I don't expect anybody to give a damn or do anything. Capital is is putting out article after article after article about poor landlords. Um, I'm homeless because my tenants weren't paying their rent and I couldn't evict them. It's like, who gives a shit? You want them to be homeless, so eat shit. Maybe you shouldn't invest it in things that people need to live every day. The Supreme Court is not going to save you. It is a fail-safe institution that represents the interest of capital because capital is who funds them and gets them into office because they're not beholden to voters. They are beholden to those that put them into power, which is the senators. And guess who funds the senators? The capitalists. The entire pipeline is designed to keep capital in power because corporations benefit from the fact that the Supreme Court is just an arbitration branch for corporations versus corporations, and it's always a pro-capital outcome. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.